Amen. Thank you, guys. The same power that calms the raging sea. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Lives in us. We sing us, and I hope that's true for you individually, that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you uh, today. Let's have prayer together. Wow, Lord, we just had an awesome time bringing praise to you through song. Thank you for how you lead that and how you guide that. Lord, we, we want to address your word this morning and we need your spirit to teach us. I pray that we've come prepared to um, listen to your spirit today as we consider your word and as we consider the life that you've given us uh, in Christ. And all these things we pray in his wonderful name. Amen. Our middle son played ice hockey when he was started out at four years of age. Played down in Pelham at the um, down there at the ice rink, the civic complex there, and there were times where it was easy to identify Micah when he played goalie and he would come out on the ice. Everyone else had their equipment, but he had his special equipment, and he would always have a couple of taps against the goal. You know, he had his little his little rhythm he went through, and, and even at four years of age. But when he didn't play goalie, and he just came out with the other skaters, they all looked the same. All these little four-year-olds out there skating on the ice, and all of them dressed in the same uniform, and, and, and as a parent, you know, you're trying to identify your child. And I'd watch all the kids, and, and Teresa and I'd talk, where's Mike? Which one's Mike? And then he would do something, right? And I'd be, that's him. Especially when he would shove him in the glass. You know, that was awesome. He, he was the first kid to be put in the penalty box. <laughs> Leave it to a pastor's kid, right? I mean, he shoved that kid into the glass. It was a beautiful move. I don't know if he did it in love or not, but he did it. But being able to identify my son, that was important. I wanted to watch my son. You know, being able to identify is important in life. And, and that's really kind of as we come to the end of our introduction and even into the first verse, it's about identification. That's what it's about. And... Um, so you should have a handout in your, in your bulletin that you can, can look at this morning. Um, we talked about the fact that the theme of Second Peter is the importance of spiritual growth. That, that it's important if you identify yourself in Christ, if you're a new creation in Christ, right? You have that identity. You're in Him. It's important that you understand, and I understand 
you know, what we've been saved from, but what we've been saved to. Um, I, th- I think it's great to, to concentrate on what we've been saved from, but we've been saved to something. And so in the first chapter, he's going to talk about the importance of this whole spiritual growth concept that quite honestly I think is maybe the most lacking discussion in churches today. You know, salvation's great, but that whole sanctification piece, I've been saved from something to something. And that to something overall is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And so we talked about the importance of this knowledge that we need to know Him. We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is, why is knowledge so critical? You know, why is it so important to know what Scripture says about who God is, who is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, salvation. Now, all those basic doctrines, why is it so important? Why is it so critical? And I would say that critical is the right term in our church culture today. Because there are so many people out there who do not have a solid foundation. Right? And so it's very critical that we understand the importance of growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And I pose the question, why is knowledge so critical? Answer the presence of false teachers in the context of Second Peter. And in chapter 2, he begins to, he begins to discuss this issue of false teaching. Right? And so it's perfect the way he sets it up. Because in chapter 1... We're going to get to that in the next few verses. In chapter 1, he talks about the importance of growing as a believer. Right? Getting beyond the bottle. We had that analogy last week. We looked at it right in the very beginning. Getting beyond the bottle. You know, eventually, a baby grows up and wants solid food. Well, that's what happens to a believer, right? That's the progression That God continues to grow us up. And we want more than just the baby stuff. And so there's a question that has to be posed. What am I doing in terms of of maturing? How much time am I spending in the Word of God? Right, Because that is how we grow. Right, That's not a mystery. (laughs) We grow as we study the Word of God. And so we have opportunities here at Grace for you to do that in men's studies and in women's studies and in discipleship. Sunday school, we want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is just a, something to think through, but if, if all I'm getting, not that it's bad, but if all I'm getting is, is Sunday, I need more than just Sunday. You agree with that? Because as you're living life, man, life's hitting you in the face. There's a lot going on. And there's a temptation in my life as a believer to handle things on my own. But if I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, I know, hey, look, he's the one that calms the sea. Man, he can calm me. He can do it. But I have to understand, right, who he is. And the only way that's going to happen is to to grow in relationship to the Lord through the word of God. Notice what he says. False prophets arose among the people just as also there will be false teachers among you. 
That's a, I mean, if you're reading that, right, that letter, that's a, that's a frightening proposition. Um, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even deny the master who bought them. We'll get into that as we get to chapter 2. But it's important we understand the truth so we can identify the false. I've given you really three statements in relationship to the false, and I wanted to just point these out because it's not just Second Peter, right? It's all throughout the New Testament where there's warnings. The Lord Jesus has a warning in Matthew 7 about that which is false, right? Um, and we'll probably look at that at some point along the way, but, but in Acts 20, in the context of Acts 20, um, Paul has called the Ephesian elders to Miletus. And, and as he's sharing with them, notice what he writes at the bottom, toward the bottom. I have it highlighted there. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. All right, so that's from the outside. They're coming in, and they're going to attack. But then notice the next phrase, and from among your own selves, men will rise. Why is knowledge so critical? Because we have people that potentially are in the house that want to disrupt we forget there's an enemy, right? There's Satan who wants to seek and destroy. Well, what's the, one of the greatest ways to do that? Right? From within. If I can get them arguing and bickering within, then I'm going to make some headway. And that happens in churches all the time. That's why it's important, guys, that, that there's no man that's held up, Right? But it's the word of God and the gospel of Christ that's held up. It's not about man. It's about the word. So false t- there's false teachers in the church. That's why we need, to, we need to have our antennas up. Secondly, there are false teachers in disguise. According to the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So what's that? A warning. Careful! Be careful because there are those that are wearing masks. That's the picture. They're disguising themselves. They, they look the part. They even have the terminology, some of the terminology. Right? You know people like that, right? You, look, you see them on television. You hear them on the radio. They have some of the terminology that we have. And if you sit sit an infant Christian down and you say, watch this or listen to this, man, how well equipped are they to pick out what the false is? Right? So we have to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because there are those who are false that disguise themselves as being true. I say this, if any teacher or pastor is pointing at himself, wanting all the glory 
and all the praise and all the honor. If, he, if everything has to run through him and he's the final man, he's the dude, there's a problem. There's a problem. Right? Because that's not the way the New Testament church was set up. There's elders and there's deacons. And do you know within the giftedness, as Scripture defines it, there's the gift of pastor-teacher. Right? But they're part of the assembly. Right? They're not on an island by themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of churches today have made it that way. You think about the number of churches. If you just took a sheet of paper and wrote down the number of churches that are built on one man, you could do it. What happens when that one dude falls out? Or says, see ya? Or is in sin? Well, in the Lord good? Man, listen, he, he's got this protection plan for his church. Because it's never meant to be about one man. Well, then there's another reason, you know, we need to be aware and growing. Because sound doctrine, at some point in time, the Bible tells us would not be tolerated. By the way, if you're waiting to live in that day, you don't have to wait. You're in that day. It's here. Sound teaching. When I was in New York... I had a privilege of leading a Bible study with adults. I was 26 years old. <laughs> Man, I was young. A lot of years have gone by since then. I'm not as young. But I remember I was really intimidated. This was a group of adults. Right? I looked at myself as an adult, but I mean, these are older dudes. They're in their 30s and 40s, right? <laughs> and I'm supposed to be teaching them First John. And I'll never forget, I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, I'm going to just go verse by verse. That's all I know. That's what Southeastern taught me to do. So I'm going to go verse by verse. And I had somebody come up afterwards and say, hey, Thad, is that how you're going to do Bible study every week? I'm like, oh, I didn't know what was on the other end of that. You ever had one of those statements? You're not sure what's on the other And I'm like, what's the answer they want to hear? No, I'm not going to give them. Yes, that's the way we're going to do it. Well, I think that's a boring way to do it. I wanted to say in the flesh, you know, sometimes your flesh just whoo, whoo, rises up. I want to say, well, listen, I don't really care what you want. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I was thinking it. That's the truth. And I remember going back to pastor and saying, look, man, I don't think this is going to work out. And he's like, Dad, teach the book. Teach the book. Guess what? It worked out. And they got used to it. But do you know that that group was made up of baby Christians? Right? They wanted to give their thoughts about the text. And there's nothing wrong with having discussion about a text, but at the end of the day, right, there's observation and there's interpretation. So, anyway, so Paul says, preach the word. That's what's out front. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And my goodness, we need to do that. But notice what's out front. Preach the word. And then he says, notice he doesn't start the verse, for the time will come. He starts the verse, preach the word. <laughs> for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside to the myths. And you know what's happening in the church today? Don't teach something too hard. 
Don't you dare talk about sin. Don't you dare talk about the consequences of sin. Where else are you going to start? Right? God created Adam. And God created Eve. And God told Adam not to. And what did Adam do? He did it. That's where you start. It starts with sin. But you know what's so beautiful about the picture of grace? As you're going through the scriptures, there's the cross. That's beautiful. Man, I say, look, I'm all about God loves me. But man, I'm also all about the fact that I don't deserve anything. It's all about grace. Well, so there's just a few examples, right? I like the way um, David Platt put this as he's talking about health, wealth, and prosperity theology. He says, um, false teaching, come to Jesus to get health, wealth, and prosperity. No, come to Jesus to get Jesus. That's it. You know, don't... I don't know if you hear this a lot. I hear this statement a lot. And I, I'm not sure. I have to ask people what they're talking about because I'm just kind of a curious kind of guy. Um, and, and they'll say, I just want more. Like, what, what are you talking about? I just want more. I'm like, great, get in the book. It'll give you more. Lots more. Right? You want more, get in the book. You want to grow, get in the book. There's no replacement for the book. So it's important to know our own identities in Christ so that we're able to recognize, right, what is false. And that's kind of this book of 2 Peter. Now I want us to get in to verse 1, all right? We're finally going to get into verse 1. We won't make it out of verse 1. We won't even make it out of 1a. That's okay. It's not indicative of what's coming. I mean, we're going to make it through more. But hey, we need to understand it, right? Um, the theme of identity continues. It's interesting to me that the author's beginning. I think I've given to you the author's unique beginning. Right? This is a really unique way to start. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. That's what he says. Simon Peter... Some translations have bondservant. The word there is doulos. We're going to talk about that word in a minute. So it reads, Simon Peter, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? Did you notice it? I'm sure you did because you're brilliant. But didn't you notice the difference here in the, his personal identification of himself? You see it? I mean, do you see any letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote where he says, Saul, Paul, to the church at Philippi? It's interesting to me that he uses both Simon and Peter. You go back to 1 Peter, he doesn't do that, it's just Peter. But you come to the second letter and it says Simon, or he says Simon, Peter. Um, you know, the way that they wrote letters and the way we write letters different, right? When we write a letter, what do we do? We put 
to such so and so. We might put to whom it may concern. We might write their first name. And at the end of the letter, what do we do? We identify ourselves. But man, you, you look at these letters in the New Testament, what happens? They start out with, and this is how they wrote, they start out by identifying themselves. And so Peter starts out by identifying himself in a unique way. Simon Peter. Now, I gave you the definitions there. You already know all that, I'm sure. But Simon was his given Jewish name, and it means to hear with acceptance or to listen. Isn't that kind of ironic when you think about this man? To hear with acceptance or to listen. And then Peter, as we know, and we could just do a study of the life of Peter. I would encourage you to do that sometime. What a tremendous... We might have to do that sometime. Study of the life of Peter. Peter is the Greek translation of the Aramaic word Cephas, which means a stone or a rock, which was given to him, that name given to him by the Lord. In John chapter 1, it says, One of the two heard John speak, and following him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found us... He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're, You are Simon, the son of John. So he identifies him by his Jewish name. You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. Which we know means what? Rock. Okay? So you have the author identifying himself by two names. And so I have to just kind of think through that. I, I wrote out to the side in my margin, and I, I thought about this. Why did he do that? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, does it? But it's possible, and I just throw this out as a possibility, that he uses both names as a reminder of where he came from. And the transformation that Jesus made in his life. Simon Peter. Before I was Simon, now I'm Peter. Isn't that what happens to us? Before we were, and now we are. Now our names might not change, but before I was lost, I was in darkness. Now I'm what? I'm in light. We know that it was at the end of Peter's life when he wrote this. So what happens at the end of people's lives? They, do, they reflect, don't they? They absolutely do. And so he, maybe he's thinking in terms. I'm just throwing it out as a possibility. Maybe he's thinking in terms of identifying himself right by his name before Christ. I don't know. The answer's not in the text. But that's a possibility. And now to these believers, right, that he's writing to that need the encouragement, it's a reminder to him of who he was and how the Lord Jesus changed his own life. So it's kind of a unique beginning. And then the author describes himself. Notice what it says. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, isn't it interesting that the order of that? Do you find that interesting? I find it interesting. I'm not, you might not. Now, now you do find it interesting because I just told you it was interesting. All right? He doesn't identify himself as apostle first. But that was his office. Right? That was his function. He was an apostle. He was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Right? He was personally commissioned by the Lord. 
which all the disciples had in common. I mean, all the apostles had in common, right? They were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. They were personally commissioned by the Lord, even Paul himself. Right? When people question the apostle Paul, he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Galatians tells us that. Acts tells us that. He was personally commissioned by the Lord to be a minister to the Gentiles. So there's this office that he held that had authority that was given to him by Christ. But that's not where he starts. I just think that's awesome. Because where he starts, listen to me, where he starts, his audience could identify with. Where he starts, maybe you and I can identify with. He identifies himself as a slave. The word is the word doulos. And it describes someone who lived under the authority of someone else. Right? That's what a doulos was. Um, I like the thought of Kenneth Wiest here about a doulos. He says about a doulos that his responsibility as a doulos was to carry out the wishes of someone else. A doulos refers to one who serves another to the disregard. Underline that. Look at that. A doulos refers to one who serves another to the disregard of what? You say it with me, the last two. Disregard of what? And by the way, that's, that's a voluntary action on the part of a believer. I mean, you are a doulos, but do you behave as a doulos? That's the question. I am a doulos, but am I behaving as a doulos? So in that culture, the total responsibility of a slave was to carry out the wishes of his master. I was thinking about this for all of us this morning just to consider. Would you describe yourself as a doulos of Christ? That's pretty heavy. Think about it. That's pretty heavy. For Peter to be able to say, that's pretty heavy. Are you a doulos of Jesus Christ? Well, we know this. He bought you. If you're in Christ, he bought you. Um, there are three observations that Wayne Barber makes about this word doulos that I think is absolutely worth our consideration. Because he takes what was a part of the culture and then he kind of uses that to get us to think through, you know, what's our position? Do we, are we a doulos of Jesus Christ? A doulos meant that one was owned by their master. <laughs> In other words, the master bought them to be their possession. All right? They owned the slaves. So you would go out to the slave market and you would purchase a slave or, a slave or multiple slaves and they were your possession. Now... As a believer, I have been bought. Did you know that? If you're a believer in Christ today, you've been bought. 
You are not your own. You've been purchased. I don't know what you think about that, but it's a good thing. Um, in fact, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, notice at the middle of the statement, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. We were bought with the blood of Christ. <laughs> he says, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We were bought. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is another great text. I need you to turn there. This is one you need to, need to see. We're going to spend a, two or three minutes in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Over 60% or up to and over 60% of the Roman Empire were slaves. <laughs> right? So when Peter's writing this, absolutely these readers can identify. Over 60% were slaves. They had a master. Um, they were bought. Was a believer, I've been bought. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 18. There's a lot in that first little part. <laughs> Flee immorality. That's a message you could just preach today, right? Flee immorality. Run away as far as you can from immorality. Every time I think about that, flee immorality, I think of Joseph. He did that. I mean, he fled, 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 fled every day, every day, every day, every day. Hey, listen, guys. And I know because we live in this world. I live in it like you do. We have to run every day. Every day. Flee immorality, he says, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Meaning this. It's not about you. And it's not about me. And it's not about what I want in this life. It's about what he wants to do through my life. There's a big difference. You get that? It's not about what I want for my life. It's about what he's going to do through my life as I place myself under his authority. Because he bought me. And Paul reminds the Corinthian believers, hey, listen, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body. You say, what's the purpose of the believer? Glorify God. Glorify God. Glorify God. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. And that's why Paul said to the Philippian believers, for to me to live is Christ. That's why he wrote it. For to me. Notice 
in that little statement, for to me. He didn't write anyone else, for to me, to live is Christ. It's to come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all slaves to something. You ever get in a position in your life as a believer where you find yourself a slave to your flesh? And you're just like, man, it just, it's just, it seems like it's ever before me every day, every day, every day, every day, and I'm giving in. Can I encourage you with something, guys? We don't have to give in. We have the Spirit of the living God that indwells us. Secondly, Adulos had no life of his own, no will of his own, no purpose of his own, no plan of his own. <laughs> that sounds great, doesn't it? Man, we're used to being in charge of what? Ourselves. It's all about me. They even write songs that it's all about me. So it must be all about me. But Adulos, so when Peter's writing to these believers, he's saying, I'm Adulos. Adulos had no life of his own, no will of his own, no purpose of his own, no plan of his own. The master ruled the slave, not vice versa. <laughs> Paul writes in Romans 14, For if we live, we live for the Lord, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, look at this, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. You get the point? So this life we live for who? Lord. Say it with some conviction. We live for the Lord. That's what Adulos did. Every thought, breath, Effort was subject to the will of his master. You could just say it this way. All was subject to his master. Can I tell you one of the greatest moments in your life will be when you come to the end of yourself and you say, Lord, it's all you. It's all you. I remember when I did that. I'd been saved a long time actually. I was probably saved 14 years, 14, 15 years when that happened. And I remember kneeling by my bed in our one-bedroom apartment on Southside. Man, that was a small apartment. One bedroom, one bath. one Everything just kind of went together. You know, in those one-bedrooms, that's what happens. It's just uh, You can walk from the front to the back and you're done. I mean, it's just no time. And so... I remember, though, vividly walking home from school one day, and I don't remember who the professor was. I don't remember that. But all I remember was the Holy Spirit convicted me about the fact that while I was saved, I hadn't said, Lord, whatever, whenever, however, I'm yours. I hadn't done that. But that's what needs to be done. Wouldn't you agree? As a believer, that's what, wherever, Lord, whatever. It's your life, it's not my life. 
heavy stuff. Third and final, a doulos was one who absolutely surrendered and totally devo- was devoted to his master. I like the quote here. It's, I don't know who to give credit to, but I like the quote. The freedom of the Christian is not freedom to do what he or she wants. I don't know how much you're going to like that quote. You might not even write it down. The freedom of the Christian is not freedom to do what he or she wants, but freedom to do what? Obey. It's all about obedience. Obedience. There are many, many times in my life that I could illustrate where I've obeyed and I didn't want to obey. You think about the life of a kid. Let's use the kid as an analogy, right? And you have a kid and the parent says at age maybe five or six or seven, hey, take out the trash. And they're all about, that sounds great, Dad. I'm going to do that. That's great and wonderful. And by the time they get to 10, 11, 12, take out the trash, Mm. And when they're a teenager, well, they don't take out the trash anymore. They're better than that, right? Wrong. It's hard to obey. It's not easy to obey as a child, right? You've had children in your home. You, you didn't think, wow, obedience isn't easy. I remember growing up and, and my father telling me, Things to do, many things to do. And I remember as I got older, man, that little independence was just running inside of me. You know how that feels? It's just like all in you, and you're like, Ugh! But obedience is the issue, is it not? It's obedience in the home. It's obedience at school. It's obedience at work. But most importantly, it's obedience to the Lord. Guys, can I tell you something? That's where true freedom is. (laughs) True freedom comes as we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of examples in the New Testament of men that refer to themselves as a doulos. Luke did. Paul did. Timothy did. Epaphras did. Jude did. You go back to the Old Testament and you get the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint. You go back and you look at it. And Moses did, and Nehemiah did, and Joshua did. And if you go to Psalm 119, it's all over that psalm. It's all over the Bible. A doulos of God. I have the privilege to be a doulos of God. Now, many of you, if not all of you, have heard of Bill Bright. Very interesting interview with him in relationship to this term, doulos. Bill Bright was born in October of 1921. He grew up in a church where the pastor was a womanizer and an adulterer. So he assumed that Christianity was a farce. And he lived as what he called a happy pagan life. He went to Hollywood to start a candy company. How many of you knew that? He went to Hollywood to start a candy company and got saved. You can get saved in Hollywood. It can happen. He said this, in my early 20s, he enrolled at Princeton and then later at Fuller Seminary. And he said this, I really loved the Lord from the very beginning. I was overwhelmed with his love that I was a sinner while I was yet in my sins, he died for me. 
He wrote, My wife and I were growing together and very busy in serving the Lord. And one Sunday afternoon, God led us to sign a contract. I thought this was really interesting. Literally, to write out a contract of total surrender of our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. To become his slave. (laughs) He goes on to write about 24 hours after that. He said in a way, in a special way that he couldn't describe. He said God gave him a vision for Campus Crusade for Christ. He went on to say, had there been no contract, in my opinion, there would have never been a vision The vision followed the total, absolute surrender of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How many of you knew that about Bill Bright? I didn't know that. I read that testimony. I thought, wow. You know, the Lord, my friends, is looking for us to completely fall under Him. He's the Master, and we're His slaves. Bob Dylan wrote a song in the 1970s you gotta serve somebody guys that's true and today we're either serving ourselves right or we can look at it this way we have the awesome privilege to be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to fall under him as a slave of his I wanted to leave you with three uh, take homes today we'll be done What spiritual habits are currently in your life that help protect you from what is false? In other words, you know, what are you doing in your life? How's that quiet time going? What's that growth process look like? Secondly, would you identify yourself as a slave of Jesus Christ? Would you say that's who you are? Not only positionally, but in practice. And as a slave of Jesus Christ, I, and then you fill in that blank. All right. We were up in uh, Nashville this weekend watching our sons. They have a gazebo that I like to go to because it's not in the sun. And so I can just sit under that gazebo and watch my boys. One of them's coaching and one of them's playing, but mostly he's sitting right now. And... um when they all come out in their purple uniforms um, or whatever uniform they're wearing, it's kind of hard from a distance to identify Andrew. I I, I can see Micah. He's got that big beard. It just kind of sticks out. But, But when all the other boys are there and they're sitting on the bench and the other team, right, or they're batting and the other team's in the field... I'm looking for my son, my, my youngest son, Andrew. And, and I can honestly say, I, I, sometimes I don't know, I'm looking like, man, which one is he? But because I know him so well, he'll, he'll do something. He has these mannerisms. Everybody does. But he's somewhat like his father in his mannerisms. And, and, and every once in a while, he'll make a movement. I'll say, That's him. And one of those movements, he, he kind of shrugs his shoulders. He'll kind of, do like that. I'm like, that's Andrew. I know that's him. Guys, listen. Identification is really important. Not only being able to identify the true, right? We need to do that. 
If we identify the true, then we're easily going to recognize the false. But we need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. Are we slaves of his? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, for this great example of this apostle, a man who not only witnessed your life and death and resurrection, but a man who was personally commissioned by you to take the gospel, to share the gospel, to defend the gospel. Lord, just captures my heart to, to be able to read the first part of verse 1 and to see that the humility of this man to identify himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a slave and he wasn't just an apostle. He was a slave of Jesus Christ and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Lord, all of us have the responsibility to deliver the gospel to others. But I pray foremost that, that today maybe we would consider whether or not we're a slave in practice. Have we fully surrendered ourselves to you? Where, and these are difficult things to consider, where family's not a priority over you, where our job's not a priority over you, where church is not a priority over you, but it's just you. You are the priority. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to, to think through that, to wrestle through that, to, to understand that better. Um, because certainly we want to be able to say, Lord, that we are slaves of you. You own us. You have the right, not only to us, but to tell us how to live. You have the right, Lord, that, that we would put ourselves under you to submit to you in every area of our life. And I pray that your spirit would, Lord, lead us and guide us and help us to understand better where we are. We're thankful, Lord, that, that this is a process, the sanctification piece is a process, and we're learning. And I pray that we would learn more and more each day that you want us to deny ourselves of everything and follow you. That you're to be the one that we look to as we face each day until you're coming. And all these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.